yesterday to uh, Tony, who told me that he had uh, done one of his readings last week, had the G word in it, and it made all kinds of uproar. <laughs> and so part of the thing that, that uh, you know, it's all right with me, I'm not worried about any kind of B word or G word, I can use them all, but... What was interesting to me, and what the, a piece that I want to continue sometime in our talk today, is how a word can so stir up the mind. You know, that the mind's going along, da dang, da dang, da dang, da dang, da dang, and someone says the G word, what do you mean? Da da. Or did you mean that? Or you certainly didn't mean that. Da-da. Happens with political stuff, it happens with someone says a view, and it's so hard for the mind to say, ah, oh, really? that view? I hadn't thought about that, you know, for it to just meet it quietly. Anyway, so that's available to you if you want to. And we'll, I'll tell you about it more when I'm back from it afterwards. We'll see how people do on that. So anyway, anybody else has any business for today? I will not be here uh, because I will be teaching B and G, and uh, <laughs> but uh, Donald will be here. I'm pretty sure Donald is here next week. Yes, Donald is here next week, uh, and they both love to be here when I'm not here. And then I'll be back, and I'll be back, uh, and and well, we'll talk about that because I will be back on the Wednesday of Holy Week. I want to start the discussion today of that metaphor that uh, fills Western consciousness for these weeks. So, anybody has any other questions? Yes, go. This is from the Grandmothers Opposed to the War, and I'll put it outside so people can see it, but on Monday, April 17th, Tax Day, I will demonstrate for about an hour at the Oakland Federal Building where the IRS has its local office, and then march to the post office and Civic Center, a distance of 0.62 miles, we will again pass out leaflets. We're thinking of starting the action at 3 p.m. so as to attract a large crowd of onlookers, but would like your feedback. So anybody wanting to go protest the war with the grandmothers, you don't have to be a grandmother, you don't even have to be a girl. <laughs> I will put this outside, and it's got my phone number on it. Okay? Okay, thank you very much. Can I ask a question about the retreat? Yeah. People, I've never been to one of these long week longs. Do people stay here overnight? Do they eat or do they go home? No, they do, Eloise. If you're thinking of coming, this is a great entry. Because it's just five nights. They come, they get a beautiful room by themselves, all the meals. Um, they sleep here. They have a quiet five days. We, we do it in silence. They don't talk to each other. We won't have, you know, they talk to their teacher every other day. You get a 15-minute interview with one of the teachers every other day. So you get two 15-minute interviews on your personal meditation practice. You get three lovely meals a day. You get a beautiful room, and you get five days in this beautiful setting with the trees budding and the deer walking around. And you need absolutely no background in meditation to come. There are three teachers, three teachers, and myself and Mary and uh, Norman, and we'll teach. Not only we'll give five evening talks, but we'll talk every morning, we'll give talks during the day, Uh, we'll um, read poetry, we'll 
see you in interviews. We'll take questions and answers. This is a great entry because normally our retreats are a little longer. Um, and I th- I'm interested in how it is for Westerners to hear us talk in a Western idiom. So, you want to know about it, you can... I don't know where you... No, you have to call. You can't. You have to go up to the barn and register, I guess. You, you can could. go to the barn and register. You can also um, probably register online, but it'd be better if you're here and you know you want to, just to go over and register. And they can talk to you about the retreat also. Yeah. Do you know where the barn is? Well, there... Okay. I'm going to go Okay, because there's some buildings right out here, and then there's a parking lot, and on the other side of the street, as you would start to go out, there's a building, which is our administration building. It's not a barn. It looks like a barn. looks like a barn. It's supposed to be a barn. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. uh, In this lineup, uh, there's one religion, this Abrahamic religion is missing, which is Islam. And I was wondering... Did anybody ever bother to find the Buddha in the Quran? Well, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. What's your name? Udo. Hmm? Udo. Udo. I was hopeful that we would have a representatives of all the Abrahamic religions. I didn't. We. I. I when I chose these teachers a year ago to teach this retreat. I don't know of a person well versed in Islam who knows mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So, all the compassion, all these I'm sure they know compassion, yeah. and I, you know, because I, I mean, Islam means peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, and you know, I'm having lunch with my friend Nahid Anga, mm-hmm. who runs the Sufi Center today. I mean, maybe I should have had Nahid, but although Nahid does not know how to teach, but in mindfulness meditation, too bad. Maybe I should have Nahid come. Thank you. Maybe I have Nahid come and give a talk at least during that week. That would be a really appropriate thing to do. Yeah, and it maybe wipes out some of the misconceptions we have. That would be a great idea to get. I mean, I can't put her into the teaching lineup at this point, but I could have her come and give a talk. Ha! Huh. Thank you so much. Huh. I mean, I just happen to be having lunch with her in an hour, so that's pretty easy. That's okay. Great. Thank you very much. Don't you think that's a great idea? Yes. That's a great idea. Do some, do some Sufi dancing. Huh? Do some Sufi dancing, something, or a little bit of chanting. A little bit of Sufi chant. Huh. Huh. <laughs> Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. We're going. So I had two things on my mind to teach today, and we'll see if I can make them, you and I can make them come together, because I want to do this jointly. Uh, I want to tell you a story of uh, a practice I was doing last week and the going and the coming in the airplanes. Um, and uh, I also want to talk about the fact that we are in the middle of Lent. And uh, we also are, uh, as of today, uh, there should be a new moon. Tonight there is no moon. There should be the sliver of the first moon if you catch it right before sunset tonight. Because two weeks from today, 
will be the first of the two Passover Seder meals tomorrow. Uh, so tonight, two weeks from tonight, should be the full moon. So we are, we are today on the first day of the lunar month. And since the, you get to see that tiny, tiny moon just before it sets, you really have to be looking at the western sky and you have to catch it. You don't get a lot of the moon. But it is the new moon starting after sundown tonight. Two weeks from tonight will be the first Passover Seder. Tomorrow will be Holy Thursday. The day, at, no, two weeks from tomorrow will be Holy Th- Thursday. Two weeks from Friday will be Good Friday. And two weeks from Sunday will be Easter Sunday. It's not so frequently that those come so closely together that that Last Supper meal actually shows up on the calendar just before those days in Holy Week because it is a Passover meal that Jesus was at, but because we oper- the, the Jewish calendar operates on a lunar calendar and the Christian calendar operates around Sundays, the, it doesn't always fit exactly so well. This is a very close year. And in both traditions, there is, during this period, a sense of uh, heightened attention to uh, the quality of one's own heart. There are practices that one does. But many people, who, who here was observing Lent as a child, at least, if not now? You gave up something for Lent. What did you give up? Chocolate. You gave up chocolate. <laughs> what else did you give up? Everybody gave up chocolate? That was the thing? Uh, That was it? Seriously? Uh, Did you know why you were giving up chocolate? I did at the time, really. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was because Jesus spent 40 days in the desert or something. Is that right? I think that he did, but not then, no, actually. No, I don't think so uh, no, I don't think he it's... He gave up his life, and so we're giving up something. Because he gave up his life, basically. My sense of the giving up was when you give up something, whether it's chocolate or wine or meat or something that you enjoy, something that you otherwise might reach for, and say, oh, I can't do this. It's like fish on Friday. You know, um, it's something that you might feel like doing that for some period of time you've taken a vow not to do. That means that when that impulse arises to do that, which is, they say, oh, I can't do that. That's a moment of heightened attention. It's a moment of awakened attention. And the attention is not to, oh, I wish I had chocolate, but oh, I'm in that special time of year that reminds me of Jesus and his life and what he taught and what he said. And how close am I to turn the other cheek? And how close am I to uh, forgiveness? And how close am I to recognizing that the divine is in me as it is in all other beings and to see them as my brothers and sisters? How close am I? I think that's the, I think that's the business of, uh, of the Lenten restraint. It's not to uh, mortify the flesh, I don't think. It probably was in certain circumstances that I should suffer as well as Jesus suffered. But my own sense now, and from my friends who are observant still, is not so that they should uh, have a bad time during this period, but that they should wake up 
during this period. That you know, it's a special time of year to really think about how much is my heart in that same place of complete love and compassion and non-resistance. And I mean, at this point, when you could say that that line, forgive them, Father, they, don't, they know not what they do, Jesus did not yet say until the time of the crucifixion, but how close am I in my, in, in my own self to forgiving people for having offended me? Because, you know, in some way they didn't know what they were doing. If we were wise and we knew truly the condition of human beings, and the pain in the world and the extra suffering from how we behave with each other, we wouldn't hurt each other, I'm sure. If we could see really the pain, the suffering that we create with the habits of our mind. I want to come back to telling you about Pesach, Passover, and the consciousness business of these two weeks. But I want to tell you about a story that uh, this happened to me in the airport. I actually, it's a complicated week because I went to Colorado. I needed, for complicated reasons, to fly back last Thursday for an event Thursday night, fly back to Colorado on Friday morning, and then fly back on Sunday. So I've had four plane rides and a lot of bus rides. And uh, this is nothing to my friend Joe, who used to do this as a living for 40 years. (laughs) But I think about you often on that 5.30 in the morning airport. (laughs) dark. (laughs) Anyway, I was standing in a line in Denver waiting to go through the security. And so now they have all that, like a maze. And you stand in the maze and you walk down here and then here and then here and then here. And, you know, I was standing pretty relaxed because I had enough time and I wasn't worried about missing my flight. I'm just standing, waiting. Early in the morning this was. I'm standing, standing, and there are people in front of me and people behind you, but I'm minding my business. I'm alone. I'm not talking to them. And I become privy to the conversation behind me. Now, you could say I was eavesdropping, but, you know, (laughs) sometimes I eavesdrop, but, you know, there was a right right behind me, so I could hear it. So it's a a clearly uh, a a young-ish man and woman traveling together, and the conversation is like this. It's your fault. That's how it started. <laughs> so the, so the, I think they felt pressured that they were late, you know, that they were going to miss some, some question about getting through. So it's your fault. And no, it's not. It's your fault. Tell me how it's my fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It was so your fault. You tell me how it's my fault. I don't want to even bring it up. I don't want to tell you how it was your fault. This is continuing like this. And, you know, I was restraining myself because I thought... I, sh- I felt such an urge to turn around and say, look, it doesn't matter whose fault it was. <laughs> Maybe it matters. It doesn't even matter if you get on this plane or not. If you miss it, you'll get the next plane. But it definitely doesn't matter whose fault it is. For whatever reason, you're here. And you're going on some trip together. Do not mess it up before you first start. You know, it's not unwise. I mean, clearly these people would not be going on a trip together if they didn't like each other. You know, and Why should they mess it up before they start? And I'm thinking to myself... It's maybe not appropriate for you know, to turn around and say that. So I didn't. You know, maybe I could have. I don't know. What do you think would have happened if I would have done it? You know, I didn't. I didn't, but I thought about it. Meantime, I get up to the security, 
And you have to practically take off everything. The shoes, vest, the polar tech vest has to come off. Everything except your minimal clothing has to belt, shoes, everything gets piled and you get three or four of those things. You push them through. And then you get to the other side. So I'm on the other side now. They come through and I'm putting back on my stuff. And the, there's two people in front of me, another couple in front of me. And they're standing there. Seriously, we're still on that conveyor belt line where you pick up your stuff. And they're kissing each other. like that. Not like, you know, like a, but, you know, enough to, there was an affectionate kissing each other. And putting on the boots also. And I thought to myself, first of all, I thought, well, you know, it's a funny place to stop to give somebody a kiss just when you just walk through the thing. I thought maybe they were so pleased to have survived the security or something. <laughs> they were congratulating themselves on the packing or the undressing or something or something. But I thought it was really funny because in front of me is two people kissing each other and in the back of me are two people having a war with each other. And I think to myself, these are like bookends of the choices that we have. We could be stopping give somebody a kiss, yay, we got through the security. Or we could be fighting about whose fault it is that we're late or whatever it was. And I thought, you know, that's the whole thing, that as human beings, we have a range of responses. We really are not completely driven by impulse. You know, there are animals that are completely driven with impulse. We are animals and we're like all the other animals in certain ways. We need to eat, we need to sleep, we need to reproduce, we need to keep ourselves safe on the lookout. All of those things, we have neurological systems like all other animals. And we also have this very big cerebral cortex so that in between the impulse to do something and the decision to do it, we have all these various choices of, I feel like doing this. It's like I feel like eating this chocolate, but ah, it's Lent, I won't eat it. And I'll reflect on the state of my soul. Ah, I feel nervous because I'm late for this plane. And I really, I'm, I, the, the, I also feel, probably if you could think this all out, I feel really nervous I'm going to miss this plane and the people on the other end, and now who knows if there's another plane and we'll get on it. And so since I'm nervous and uncomfortable, um, what, I'm going to, what, my, what I now find myself doing is becoming angry at the person who I think behaved in such a way that I am now having to suffer this anxiety. So I'll bark at that person. Well, wait a minute. That's not so wise. I'm already late. Barking is not going to make it any different now. Maybe it'll make it worse. I mean, it is the person I'm traveling with. I at least need a friend if I'm going to miss that other plane. If you could think it all the way through. But we don't think it all the way through. The people who are the neurophysiologists uh, have figured out that uh, that information comes to the amygdala, which is the startled part of the ah, brain, ten times faster than it goes to the rest of the cerebral cortex. So, but first of all, you see, when someone when someone jumps out from behind a door, and they say "boo," you shout at them back. Ah! What's the matter with you? Then you find out somebody you love, you know, they're saying happy birthday surprise. You pull it together and you give them a kiss. But in the moment, you get really angry because they've startled you because the first thing goes to the amygdala, which is just the level of the limbic system. It goes, ah! 
and it gets mad or frightened or shouts out, and then it's, oh, birthday party, okay, pull it together. So what should we do as, as human beings with that kind of a brain, with ten times faster response out of the limbic system, and not so much reflection, and what does that have to do with meditation, and what does that have to do with uh, renunciation practices like Lent? Uh, so I'm just saying these questions out because I mean for you to think about them and tell me. And the piece that I didn't mention at that point, that's a funny story, that airport yeah. story, isn't it? I, and it, honestly, just exactly like that, the people behind me and the people in front of me. Look, look, look. So these are the two possibilities left, you know, that are available for human beings. Uh, and I, either neither of them thought what they should do now, what would be a good thing to do. This happened here, and that happened here. And what were the circumstances that caused this or this? So uh, the, uh, there isn't actually a Lent um, practice uh, in, 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 a, in a dietary way, um, leading up to Passover, uh, the whole of Passover is, a, is a, a, a changing over of the food that uh, the practice in the weeks leading up to is taking out from your house all um, bread stuffs, all stuff with leavening, uh, depending on how traditionally and how strictly you observe uh, there are all kinds of foods that you wouldn't want to eat during those uh, that week of Passover. Uh, in um, uh, remembrance of the uh, flight out of Egypt, which in myth and legend happened so fast that there was no time to let the bread rise, and so they went as they were, they made unleavened cakes, and now we eat those unleavened cakes. The line in the liturgy for that evening is, this is the bread of affliction that our forefathers ate in the desert. As we eat, let's think about all the people everywhere who don't, whose, whose lives are afflicted now and wish for them that they are free. Um, Nowadays, it's not such an affliction to eat uh, unleavened bread. They come in so many flavors now. There are all kinds of unleavened cakes. And if you, if you go in the supermarket for the next few weeks, you see the Passover section, you can make yourself fudge brownies that are somehow unleavened. So it's not exactly the bread of affliction that our forefathers ate in the desert. But, uh, but it, it actually does bring your attention to the story for a week because if somebody calls and says, you want to meet me for lunch, you have to say, I'm not going out to a restaurant this week because they don't have the stuff that I eat there. The practice leading up to it has an outside practice and an inside practice. The outside practice is you're supposed to clean out your cupboards of leavening um, and... Uh, uh, not buy anymore. You're supposed to do spring cleaning. You're supposed to really clean your whole house, and people get very serious about cleaning. You even, if you are very uh, strictly observant about the rules, change your dishes. You carry out all the dishes from your kitchen and put them in a... When I was a child, we wrapped them in paper and put them in a barrel and put them in the basement and rolled out a barrel of special dishes that we used for that week that had never had anything with leavening on them. Not so many people do that anymore, but, you know, I remember as a child, 
uh, first of all, I liked the dishes that we used on that week. And also, it was awesome to think this must be a very important holiday that we're doing, this, taking these barrels down to the basement and other barrels up from the basement. The important, I think, for me, consciousness practice around this is that the idea of um, um, leavening is that it ferments um, like sourdough bread or something. You know, when you put a sourdough riser in something and it causes it to rise, I think it comes from that. But there's something bitter about that, uh, that the fermentation is a bitter taste because really how I understand the practice is that I want to find everything that is stale or bitter in my heart and clearing that out. I mean, not never mind my cabinets. Maybe I'll clean my cabinets, but it's not about cabinets. It's about the heart. It's just like it's not about chocolate. It's about the heart. And really the examination of the heart of what is left in there that is embittered. Um, the word embittered uh, comes up quite a lot in the liturgy for the Passover meal. We were slaves, our lives were embittered. Uh, so it's not, I think that how um, my friends and I are liking to interpret it now is that uh, it's our own hearts that we want to be free of all embittered. So it's really a consciousness practice for these few weeks of uh, reflecting on, is there anything unhealed in my heart? Am I carrying around any old uh, bitterness? In your house, what you're supposed to do is take a feather. And uh, seriously, people do this with their children. It's just, it's kind of, I mean, you clean up your house, you take all those products out, and then you put a crust of bread somewhere where you know it is. And or some crumbs, and then you do a search of the house to make sure, and uh, you know where you've planted it, of course. It's kind of like planting Easter eggs. You know where they are. And you allow your child to find that, or you direct them to it. And then you sweep it up with this feather in a very ceremonial way. But the ceremonies are, I think, again, ways, of, for me, anyway, of bringing the attention of what is left embittered in my heart. Um, I had a discussion with a friend of mine once some years ago, uh, coming on probably to this particular holiday, about, she said, do you have any grudges uh, left in you? This is a very close friend of mine, so it was the kind of conversation that you could have with somebody with candor. And... Uh, I said, you know, not really. I've worked it out with everybody in the world. Even some people, you know, we didn't have the best, but I'm fine with everybody except one person. One person. I, You know, every time I think of that person, mm, um, she said, you know, if there's only one person stand between, standing between you and a heart of complete... Mm-hmm. Loving kindness, don't you think you could get over it? <laughs> so what I want to ask you, this would be a good point to pose, to pause. First of all, what do you got to say about anything that I've said so far? And then I'm going to ask you the real question about you got anybody in there that your mind would bobble over. What do you think about that? What do you think about that practice of reflection? Is there something left? You think this is a possible thing for human beings? Mm 
I think. I think it's an important thing. I think we forget to reflect. We forget to take the moment to, how am I doing? Or even in a, just how, how am I doing? Much less in a relationship, how are we doing? Are we on track? Yeah. You know, we forget. We just kind of get, at least I do. I, you get caught up, and then all of a sudden, you're so far away from where you really, where your heart wants to be. Yeah. And you go, how did I get here? Yeah. How did I get here? What did I do? And then, but just, I feel like that is the moment of awareness to when you realize you're way over. Well, that, 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 that brings up another very important point, Joe, you know, this thing about where am I on my journey? Um, the story of Exodus uh, in, in Western scripture, in the Hebrew Bible, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible is what's written in a Torah. You know, when you see someone pick up a Torah. The Hebrew Bible is much bigger than that. It uh, contains what's written in a Torah. It also has the books of kings and judges and uh, psalms and proverbs and quite a lot more. So if you look at something called the Hebrew Bible, it will go way, way further. And the first five chapters of that will be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is all that's written in a Torah. Of those, the first, Genesis, are myth stories about the creation of the world. I think they're myth stories, and other people take them seriously, of uh, the creation of the world and the matriarchs and patriarchs. From the beginning of Exodus to the end of Deuteronomy is the story of the wandering of the Israelites First of all, the getting out from slavery and then the wandering around until they come to the Holy Land or in sight of it, which is where the Deuteronomy ends. And the story is they get out, but then there are no end of challenges. You know, they finish with one challenge and there's another challenge and there's another challenge and there's another challenge. And scholars have talked about the fact that uh, had they walked uh, straight geographically, from getting out of Egypt to where they were going, they would have gotten there quite fast, but the book actually presumably takes 40, the books say it took 40 years. So it's not such a straight shot, even from the first vision of freedom to a consolidated uh, putting together of freedom. And I think that this what uh, that Joe said is that where, from wherever it, are, it is that we think we are, to where we're going, we don't get there exactly on a straight shot. That uh, that the purification of the heart, if you want to change over to the metaphor, takes a little while. Uh, I actually like to use the metaphor of um, going back into Egypt. The, the, you might be interested in knowing that the word Egypt in Hebrew means a very narrow place. That's what that's what the Hebrew word for Egypt means: a narrow place where you could get stuck in a narrow place. When my mind is um, uh, beleaguered and uh, I feel like it's a narrow place and somebody frightens me. Somebody said, uh, when I was talking to Tony yesterday, he said, you know, uh, a certain issue or a certain name and all of a sudden the mind goes, Shh, and uh, it can't see around that. And that I certainly have that, that something happens and I get a view, it shouldn't be like this. And the wisdom that I don't have in the moment that my mind has a view, it shouldn't be like this, is it is like this. Mm -hmm. 
you know the the whole the whole the whole thought it shouldn't be like this is a delusive thought about whatever it shouldn't be like this because i mean what i think we mean is i'd rather it wasn't like this but it shouldn't be like this it is like this you know that this is the only world we can have and it can't be a different world given everything that's happened it's really a clear view of karma i don't always hold that but when i do and i see something that i think is not right i think oh dear alas it's like this i wish it were like this but it's like this what can i do to make it different rather than it shouldn't be and these people are responsible it is because everybody was responsible for how it is it's so clear to me that that particular piece getting it that everyone and everything in any moment is exactly the only way they can be has been such a great relief to me doesn't mean they're the way i'd like them to be it means they can't be another way and if i and it removes from my mind the contentiousness about it should be otherwise it's not fair i told you i remember 2 weeks ago that a friend of mine said that the words it's not fair have caused more trouble in the history of the world than any other three words it's not fair it's not fair it's not you know i wish it were otherwise yeah but it's not fair it's how it is so the metaphor for me is i'll have moments maybe even periods of time in which i'm really quite expansive about things you know uh, so here's the kinds of things someone comes up and says mom um i i forgot to tell you that i won't be at the passover meal this year because uh, decided to take my family on a ski vacation. So, uh this is maybe me or it may be uh half a million other grandmothers in my situation. Um and what do you do at that moment? You say, "Oh. Okay. I I guess that's how it's going to be. I hope you have a great year. You know, that a uh, great ski. I hope the snow is good." And the mice are <laughs> How can you do that? But it's happening, you know. And you get the choice to give a kiss or have a fight. Yeah. Always you have a choice in any moment do I kiss this person or do I fight with them? And say so you can't do this. They are doing it. <laughs> and do I make my own mind tight? If my mind is tight, then it says it's not fair. for 20 30 40 80 years i told them this is sacrosanct it's not fair it's happening so it's not fair doesn't get you anywhere <laughs> the only thing that gets you somewhere is saying i guess that's the way it is you know look at that everyone's doing exactly what they're doing and the recipient uh the the beneficiary of that is always me or you the beneficiary of the choice will my mind cave in on whatever i just picked the jewish grandmother example because i am one and because it's probably being replicated over this country a lot of times but you could do it anyway coming for easter dinner coming to visit coming on spring break uh not getting the job you want not getting the this not getting the that that always is a possibility of the mind saying ah This isn't what I wanted but it's what I got. Okay? Or it's not fair and fighting. And I think that the mind fighting first of all is painful already and it also precludes seeing other possibilities. Ah, 
Maybe you'll visit the week after. How about that? Maybe next year we'll plan a different thing at a different time. How about that? It precludes, it pushes out everything. I think that I actually see it in terms of a wall that has a certain amount of space, or as if my mind was a room. And that the thoughts get caught in it, and they are unable to see outside the room. There's no windows. Someone told me recently about people are interested in hiring people to work for them who can think outside the box. I love that view, because I think you either have to think outside the box, or you have to get a box that has transparent walls, or a box with windows, so that, in fact, you can see, well, there are other possibilities. Hmm. Other families, they find out, oh, you're doing that? Okay. How about we have that ceremony two weeks early? Lightning definitely will not fall from the sky, and we could all do that ceremony together. There's lots of other ways to do those kinds of things. So what I'm so the, the 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 image of um, uh, the image that's a central metaphor for Jews um, is the image of free from the slavery of Egypt, from the slavery of a narrow place. I think I go and and that the the idea is you got out from slavery and then you're out. I think I go in and out of slavery many times a day. Each time that my mind gets stuck in something that it thinks it has to have otherwise. I was in the airport coming home on Sunday. I was really tired. Back, forth, back, forth. I'm back in the Denver airport. I'm coming home. Finally, I'm there on time. My ride drops me off on time. I come to the gate, right, with plenty of time. And it's got a sign, flight delayed five hours. So now you're in the Denver airport. The flight delayed five hours with a lot, and you know, truth to tell, I, I kept saying to myself, the flight is delayed five hours. Every flight is delayed. They had huge winds around in the, in the whole Denver area, and every time my mind said, "Ah," I said, "Wait a minute, you want to fly in really threatening winds? I mean, <laughs> obviously they've grounded this planes because it's scary. Do you want to, you know, you want to get there five hours early and take your life in your hands? Or you want to sit here?" <laughs> It's good. It's great that they cancel flights. It's wonderful. Let them not fly until they're sure that the air is good. I don't want to take off in this. So you have to keep reminding the mind because it gets it gets it gets frightened and it gets tired, and then it forgets to be reasonable. Like you don't want to fly in the middle of terrible weather. They, they, you know, have to take off over those mountains. You don't, you don't you don't want to be blown around with that. Uh, but it's a really interesting because you have like a grown-up mind that watches that says, this is great. Oh, take your time. Make a decision when you want. And you have the child mind in there that says, my back hurts. I want to get on a plane. I want to go home. And you hear those two voices and you have to keep talking to yourself or singing to yourself or doing something else that will keep you happy. You have to find things so that the mind doesn't cave in. could meditate, actually. So let's have a little feedback from you. So Joe said that she had to find out where you are. Actually, where am I is a very important question. Where am I in my journey? It's a very important point about having spiritual buddies. Yeah. I really find in my situation right now, I, um, my husband and I are divorcing. He has an alcohol problem, and I also have triplets. 
eight years old uh, that I shared with you. I time. remember that. Um, I really find as we are doing the work to um, separate our lives that um, there's a disconnect between you know the fear. I, I really work. I'm working so hard to have compassion towards him and the disease, and what's rather than having so much anger and resentment towards him. Um, but there's this, you know, what comes in for me is so much fear about: Am I going to be able to take care of my children and myself and live the way we have lived? And there's like, oh, there's all that, which makes me want to be angry. Um, and then there's this other part of just turning it all over and the compassion. But what do you, where's the footwork? Like, what do you have to do to, to take care of myself and mm. to make responsible choices? Mm -hmm. It just gets all, you know, crazy in there. Mm. So. Remind me of your name. Amy. Amy. Thank you, Amy. And I do remember that you have triplets. Yeah. I yeah. love hearing the updates. From <laughs> were they also two, two, and two? They, they were actually all five. <laughs> I was a big mama. <laughs> you walked on home right away. And you walked on your own feet into the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I was down though for ten weeks yeah. at home, but I walked there on the day of delivery. <laughs> wow! So. Wow! Uh, the the bigger question of how. What other way, as I'm going to ask you, here's a question. What, I think this is a question. You tell me, Amy, if this is right. What are the way, what is the way or are the ways that you know to uh, get support for yourself uh, in periods when you're frightened and might not make a good decision or in which you're about to make a decision that you're not sure of and you want to check with somebody else? What other ways that you check out if your decision, that the, the, what you're about to do is correct. Does that make sense to you? Sort of balance the compassion with the fear. And, yeah. How do I keep myself from being frightened? How do I keep my heart open? And how do I know I'm actually doing it and not just thinking that I'm doing it? Everybody think about that? So turn to a person next to you that you don't know, not your relative, somebody else. <laughs> and three minutes, three minutes, really, two, four minutes, two minutes each to re tell that person what you do, because not everybody gets a chance to talk otherwise. And that person will tell you, and then we'll all talk together. Ready, set, go. I'm sorry, that's too soon, but Shoshana wants to know what was the question. Everybody sort of figured out something to talk about. From whence do you get spirit? What are the ways 
in which, because I'm, I'm convinced there's going to be 10 different things, 20, that people say, how do you check out, am I, I, my mind is muddled, or it might be, am I, de- am I deciding out of compassion and wisdom, am I deciding impulsively, how will I know that I have decided correctly if I'm by myself, and how will I get support from an outside person to know that I'm right when I can get that support? All those, all of the above. Two minutes, ready, go.
really like it so much when, when somebody comes up that, every, that everybody can talk about because I love it that everybody gets to say their idea otherwise I just get to say mine and, and, and then I like to hear what everybody thought about so let's make a list we don't have to write it down but what were some of the things that you said how about the person who didn't say it someone will say my partner said this great idea or said this wonderful thing what did you learn from your partner that would be a way of reporting so you don't say what I said, but what my partner said when I did that. Go. Okay, go, Shelley. Um, my partner said that she pauses and stops, and that that pause is kind of what kind of gives her space to kind of make her decision from there. And if it's a really big decision, she goes for a walk. Uh-huh. And she walks and she walks and she walks. <laughs> So, okay, good. Thank you very much. Um, Joe? Okay, my partner said she'll call a friend and say, can I wind for just five minutes? <laughs> and by the end of that time, she's really centered herself enough to know what's really the right answer for her, just the venting with a friend. Thank you very much. You know, we could come back to that a little bit because somebody asked me about it yesterday. They said, I just can't stand it when my mind is whining. But the truth is, and we talked about it for a while, every once in a while your mind whines, you know, it, and it's whining for a reason. It's in pain. And usually in, if, you, if there's a possibility to get around our, uh, the, any kind of built-in uh, idea in the mind, I shouldn't whine, people are worse off than I, it's not nice, burden somebody, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, if you say, listen, I'm in pain, you want to hear my pain? You could call up somebody and say, I have a headache, I have a migraine. Call up and say, I have a wine. This is it. And you get all finished, and your friend still loves you. And you have, at that point, become in touch with your own pains. You're a little kinder to yourself. So, you know, maybe whining in selective, not public places is a good thing. You know that, uh... Hillary, were you going to say something? Learn how to cope with these issues to bring this into their life to be 
I mean, I just as you say that, Hillary, I'm thinking about what do we say to children? I haven't had young children in such a long time. I have grandchildren, but we'll hear from somebody who has... Uh... Anyway, let's hear somebody else's good advice. It's not 11. Somebody beeped too early. Uh, what else did other people say that we could learn from? Pasquale? From my partner, I learned... If you know what someone needs and they ask you for it, try to give it to them. <laughs> that's as if you know what somebody needs and they ask you for it, try to give it to them. If you have it, I had this great line that I had brought to show you last week from uh, the. There's a discussion in the Majima Nikaya, no, two weeks ago, where um, uh, an, ab- uh, an abbot in one community. Uh, goes to visit a friend of his who's an abbot in another community, a small community of three or four monks living together where the understanding is that they live together in great accord. They have no fighting between them, the, no tension whatsoever. And he asks his other abbot, you know, the abbot, you're in charge here and you never have any discord with your people. He said, no, I think about it this way. I look around and I say to myself, these people are wonderful people, you know, they, they're such a support for me, they're in my order, they're in my community, they're sterling people, they're people devoted to the purification of the heart. When they want to do something, and it's not what I want to do, it's something that they want to do, I think to myself, why not do it their way? You know, that's a, such a, big, a good piece of, you know, imagine if that were the piece that we taught each, you know, each other and our children. Our partners, partners said, hey, let's do this. And you think, ah, I don't want to do that. But why not do it their way? Why not? You know, because it's, you know, that's your way, but I, and you always get your way. We never do what I want. We always do what you want. <laughs> you know, that. why do we do that? Why don't we say, oh, why not do it their way? It's just an idea that this is my way and it's better than your way, which is something else. It's my turn. Why not do it your way? Anyway, who else had a great idea? Robin. Yeah. brings us to the moment with all parts of ourselves. Yeah. And as you were talking about the monk, I was just thinking about, I have cultivated a small group of women friends with generous bosoms who love to hug. <laughs> and to receive that very late mothering, yeah. that comfort yeah. makes a real You know, people are getting, I'm happy to say, quite, I mean, here we are now in a culture that when people say, you know, people come up and they say, can I give you a hug? You think, why not? You know, why not? I mean, we live such, we live such, you know, you sit in an airplane, you don't talk to people, you don't touch people, but somebody that you know is, why don't you give me a hug? Yeah. Uh-huh. And to hear that Islam means peace, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Well, thank and you. I wonder how many people that are of the faith even know that. Well, I'm going to find out at lunchtime today. I'll give you a report <laughs> in two weeks. And, uh, yeah. What else? What else do you Christianity has more of a sort of balance of right and wrong. You might ask, 
what would Jesus do or what you know would your idol do? Whereas Buddhism, and this is something Tony talked about last week, would more have the perspective. It doesn't matter what true or false. You know, there is no true or false. The question is whether it reduces or creates suffering. So mm-hmm. Either of those would be ways, of, you know, things to ask yourself. And mm-hmm. You know what I've been thinking about? Thank you very much. I've been watching myself write emails. I've been, I have more and more email practice. You, you probably know from Donald that he has an email practice of before he sits down, sits down to open his email, before he opens each message, he makes a little, may, uh, may my encounter with this message be for my benefit and for the person who met it, who sent it. So that he's like in a good mood, because otherwise, I mean, there are emails that I delete if they're, you know, yet another one from Nordstrom or somewhere other that I don't want to look at, or from, you know, for whatever. But I mean, I don't delete people, but but there's a whole bunch of in there from people, and you don't know whether it's going to be you didn't submit this and you're late on that and you promised me you're going to send this, and so you could have oh here you could have an encounter, or you could start by saying. May my encounter with this email be for my benefit and the person who sent it. So you look. if you get an email from Donald Ever, it always begins, uh, Dear Sylvia, may this uh, message find you well. And then, you know, how about you'll teach this, I'll teach that, which days am I teaching, you know. So it requires something or other. But the first greeting is, you know, God be with you and also with you, you know. Peace unto you and also to you. That you know, to meet somebody with a greeting that's a blessing, then they relax. Then they'll you know whatever's coming up, you, you deal with. Um, I have been especially paying attention to the way I answer emails because you know, a lot of them are requests. Do you want to do this? Can I do that? Do you want to do the other thing? And I either do or don't, and or people are requesting something that I can or cannot grant. And how to say the truth in uh, the most honest um, and clear way uh, so that I don't cause myself any distress or the person any distress. And so it's been a really, it's been a really potent practice because I'll find myself in the middle of writing an email and I'll think this is not sounding the way I'd like it to sound. If I were talking to a person in a voice, I wouldn't say that. So, uh, and, uh, you know, one day last week, I, you know, I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And then I called the person on the telephone, you know, because I just, it just was not coming out in a way that I thought would be the clearest message that I wanted to do. It's back to the beginning of today when I was talking about we have Lent, we have spring cleaning, we have preparations for Passover, not because we are reenacting an old story, but because we are looking for ways to keep our mind awake in this moment so that we choose out of that place of kindness and compassion in this moment. I actually like that prayer that I said in the beginning. I wonder if I could think about that prayer. May I, as I sit here, preceding a meditation, may I, as I sit here, be able to meet each moment with my heart in repose. With my heart I sit here with my heart in repose. I remember that phrase. I don't remember anything else. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's very good. That's what I was looking for, and I forgot it. With my heart in repose. Honestly, I need to remember that. I will. 
good. Yeah, no, and now we're right. <laughs> we're all good, and I will ask Naid about. <laughs> May I meet this moment with my heart in repose, so I am able to most clearly discern what response will be for my benefit and for the benefit of all beings. What response will most reflect the wisdom of uh, kindness and compassion in this moment? I did on the tape just now. <laughs> Amen. So uh, I'll see you in two weeks, uh, unless you come to the retreat next week. So, uh, can I just say? I just want to say something. Just take ten seconds uh, for those of you who are wondering. Many of you were there, but the reason Sylvia came back and forth from Denver is she was honored with other, four other women for, mm-hmm. and, and she was honored for religion for the Marin Ho- Women's Hall of Fame. So it was a big oh. banquet, and all of her family was there and their grandchildren. So it was a very auspicious occasion. We're very proud of her. We were there. And the best part of the evening, how old is Eric? <laughs> Eric is 14. 14. So when Sylvia's name, it's one of, one of her beautiful grandchildren, when her, when her name was announced, is it Bubby? They call you Bubby? They do call me Bubby. It's, Bubby. A, it's, a, it's a Yiddish endearment for grandmother. So here's Eric, and he's so cute. And everybody's applauding. Bubby, you rock! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> Shoshana, what? Thank you. Um, just real briefly, and there are flyers on Saturday, and I had sent an email to our Yahoo group, but Saturday, April 1st, I don't know if you announced it earlier because I got here late, but Saturday, April 1st, here. There is a first. It's a day long for young adults ages 16 to 30. And the theme is nonviolence, choosing peace. And one of the things that they're going to be doing that day is they're going to be giving any of the young people who wish an opportunity to answer the three questions that one must answer to file for conscientious objector status. Spirit Rock is then going to archive all of those in case there is ever a draft reinstated. So if you have young people within these ages, if you know of young people, it's going to be an incredibly wonderful day long. And uh, James, who's one of our founding teachers here, is uh, the Spirit Rock teacher who's been the guiding light in pulling this together. And there are people of color as presenters. There is a man who... uh, was in the uh, first Gulf War and then chose CO status, and he will be here presenting. So if you know anyone, it's just going to be extraordinary. And then um, one other thing. I know you used to do birthdays, but I just want to put out that um, tomorrow is my nephew's birthday, and he is serving in Iraq. So if everyone could just hold my nephew, Brian, in their heart for a moment, I would so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, Shoshana. How old is Brian? He'll be 27 tomorrow. Oh. May he and everybody else there come home in, 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 intact in body and in spirit. And uh, may we as a nation heal and Iraq as a nation heal. May the world heal. 
May everyone's child come home from wherever in harm's way, and may we really make this a planet of conscientious objectors where we decide to live together, all of us, in peace. This talk was given by Sylvia Burstein at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on March 29, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio Archive. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.